filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calajuri. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week, I'm taking leading business books and I'm condensing them down to their core golden nuggets so that I can save you time from having to read it yourself. Also, if you guys want the written version of each episode, go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for the weekly summaries. I'll make sure I get that into your inbox every single Monday. All right, so what book are we doing today, you guys? Obviously, if you read the title, you'll know that we're focusing on Story for Leaders by David Pearl. Now, in general, I'm a big fan of any book that talks about storytelling. For somebody who grew up in the marketing industry, I'm a big fan of storytelling. Storytelling to make my marketing more effective. Storytelling to make my sales pitch more impactful. Storytelling to try to convince, compel, lead people. Now, the problem with storytelling, though, is that it's often seen as decoration. Something just to jazz up a speech or add personality to a presentation. Story for Leaders, it outlines the must-have techniques to create a compelling story and deliver it with power. I like the three golden nuggets that I took away from Story for Leaders, and I hope that you guys have an opportunity to put some of these things into practice for yourself to make you stronger, more compelling communicators. Without further ado, let's crack right into this one. Golden nugget number one. Know the difference between a plan and a story. Plans inform people. Stories inspire people. You're going to need both in business, but the key is knowing when to use them both. A plan, it's the straightest route between two points. Communicate with a plan when you have a detailed proposal or list of items that need to be achieved. When there's no room for interpretation and you need your team to have clarity on what's expected of them, use a plan to communicate effectively. A story, however, is the most interesting route between two points. Stories can change the way we think, act, and feel. They can form the foundations of an entire workplace culture, and they have the power to break down barriers and turn bad situations around. Stories can capture our imaginations, illustrate our ideas, arouse our passions, and inspire us in a way that cold, hard facts often cannot do. Use stories to build trust. For example, if you're trying to build confidence in your team, you might want to share stories of past lessons learned with your team. These short stories will slowly begin to win your team over as they realize that you have the experience to lead them. Use stories to grow sales. For example, when meeting with a potential client who knows very little about your organization and what you do, use stories about how your product or service helped another organization reduce costs or generate revenue or generate some other type of benefit that they would be interested in. Bring in specific details about how they used your product, how they used your service, how they felt, the troubles they faced, the glorious benefits at the end of the story. You want to lead them all through that. Use stories to get your team all on the same page. Perhaps you're having a difficult time getting your teams aligned. Use stories about the negative aspects of not working together and paint a very undesirable picture that'll make them want to begin to work together. The key takeaway here is that too many of us in business, we use plans to communicate. But plans, they just don't have the power to inspire or drive people to completely own something or become passionate about something. The key takeaway that I want you to get here is that you need to understand the difference between a plan and a story and when to use both. That's the key. Golden nugget number two, use 
anecdotes to create stories that stick. Now, an anecdote is a short, amusing, or interesting story about a real incident or person. Now, David Pearl, he advises readers to use anecdotes, which he calls anchordotes, to anchor an idea in people's minds. Now, many people don't think about it, but the very ordinary stories from your own life can be very powerful in business. Anecdotes are nothing more than simple stories, the kind that every single person on this earth has and tells on a daily basis. When we share a memory from our childhood, tell our friends about something that happened at work, recall an important lesson learned, these are all instances of anecdotal storytelling. You're a storyteller and you don't even know it. By using anecdotes in your marketing and in your selling, you can pack the power of a narrative into any topic. Short or long, funny or inspiring, anecdotes, they're an essential tool for anybody, leaders, marketers, sales professionals, and you can use them to seize your prospects, your employees' attention. Now, some key takeaways here are understanding how to tell a great anecdote. First, tell a story using strong visuals. If you read it over and you can't clearly picture something in your mind, your anecdote just doesn't stick. It's not going to work. So you have to try again and build something that's a little bit more visual that brings up these, these vivid thoughts in your mind. Second, be brief with your anecdote. What makes anecdotes so powerful is that they're brief but carry with them a very powerful message. Third, Make it relatable so people can easily understand it. It has to apply directly to them and what they're currently facing, whether it's an opportunity or a challenge. If it's not relatable, it's not going to stick. And finally, when you're telling your anecdote, wrap it up with the lesson at the end. I find anecdotes that wrap it up with a nice lesson at the end makes it very easy to understand and very easy to grasp. Now, something I want you to do here is I want you to take a lesson from Aesop. Stories like The Frog and the Mouse, they take very complex ideas and weave them into short, entertaining narratives, which are immediately understandable by anybody. Even if you're a six-year-old, you'll understand this. So if you've actually never heard the story of The Frog and the Mouse, I'm going to treat you to a nice little story here. So The Frog and the Mouse by Aesop. A young mouse in search of adventure was running along the bank of a pond where lived a frog. Now when the frog saw the mouse, he swam to the bank and croaked. Won't you pay me a visit? I can promise you a very good time if you do. Now the mouse didn't need much coaxing, for he was very anxious to see the world and everything in it. But though he could swim a little, he did not dare risk going into the pond without some help. The frog had a plan. He tied the mouse's leg to his own using a tough reed. Then into the pond he jumped, dragging his foolish companion with him. The mouse soon had enough of it and wanted to return to the shore. But the treacherous frog, he had other plans. He pulled the mouse down under the water and drowned him. But before he could untie the reed that bound him to the dead mouse, a hawk came sailing over the pond. Seeing the body of the mouse floating on the water, the hawk swooped down, seized the mouse, and carried it off with the frog dangling from its leg. Thus, at one swoop, he had caught both meat and fish for his dinner. The takeaway from this story... Those who seek to harm others often come to harm themselves through their own deceit. I want you to use anecdotes to anchor a story in the mind of the one receiving it to drive lasting change. Now last but certainly not least, golden nugget number three. As a leader, you're a meaning maker. Leaders are meaning makers. And what David Pearl means by that is that leaders need to create meaning for their employees. 
in a world moving as fast as ours is, it's the leader's job to create a sense of narrative, a sense of story to help their employees understand where exactly they are right now. So much of business relies on how engaged people are in your vision or mission. Now, traditionally, your vision or mission statement is supposed to be used to inspire the organization. But those elements, they just don't have a great deal of power these days. Today, you need a leader to make meaning out of current challenges, current objectives, current opportunities by using anecdotes and by painting a picture of what the future could be. Take, for example, an organization that was going through very difficult times. Business, it just wasn't coming in. Clients were leaving, employees were leaving, employees that were there were upset, they were disengaged, things were looking very scary. Now, employees would very likely look at this situation and tell themselves a story that this organization was dying, and like a ship going under, it's best they grab a lifeboat and get the hell off that ship before they go under with it. However, if a leader were to make meaning out of the current challenges, they could begin to turn that ship around by getting their people working together. As a leader, you can give this challenge meaning by sharing a business story you experienced and got through. You could use a story that a colleague had shared with you about overcoming extremely difficult times. Or you may want to use a personal experience, beating an illness or overcoming a personal challenge to inspire employees that they too can get through this challenge. You need to use stories to generate meaning, to generate perspective, to provide context, to help inspire people, focus people. That's what you use stories for as a leader. Now, a former CEO I worked with was facing an opportunity to take over a market But to do that, it would take a Herculean effort that his employees were very intimidated by. He told them a story about his grandfather who moved from Croatia to build a better life for his family. Now, while he sat in an eight-hour flight that was full to the brim with people en route to Chicago, he realized the absolutely incredible position he was in. This was one of those rare moments in someone's life where the decision to go all in and commit could change the course of his life and his family's lives. It was at this point that he knew he had to go all in because this was his chance to make the life he always wanted. Now fast forward three years, it took him three years to actually make the life that he wanted. But through all the pain, all the suffering, he not only made the life that he wanted, he was able to give his family the life that they never dreamed of. A beautiful house, cars to drive in, education, food on the table, access to healthcare, All of these things they didn't have in Croatia, they now had in the United States of America. So what am I saying? Focus on the opportunity, not the obligation. If you focus on the opportunity, you'll be inspired what's possible. If you focus on the obligation, you'll be intimidated and be paralyzed by fear. As a leader, it's your job to get great at telling stories to inspire your people and provide meaning to the current situation you're currently facing. Whether it's positive or negative, you're a meaning maker, inspire your people, and give each situation meaning. All right, my friends, there we have it. That's Story for Leaders by David Pearl. I hope you guys enjoyed the golden nuggets from this one. Again, I'm trying to keep these episodes short. Only three golden nuggets from this one. I actually had a really good conversation with a listener recently who told me that less is more for them. And they didn't like in the very beginning when I first started this, I had, you know, 8, 12, 15 golden nuggets sometimes. They said it was too much. And it was tough to take away something in particular they could drive in their business. So I really took that to heart and, and actually agreed with them. And so for me, I'm not trying to bring you as many golden nuggets as possible. Only the ones that I feel are the most impactful that I took from the book. 
It's my hope that by giving you less, it's going to allow you to focus more on those few and then take those into the workforce or into your personal life, however it is you want to use them. To me, I think that's just a better way to do it. So hopefully you guys agree with that and hopefully you guys still like the way this is evolving. Like I said, this show's still fairly new. I've been at it for less than a year and uh, so it's constantly evolving because of your feedback. So if you guys have any feedback, reach out to me. Get me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Send me an email, ryan.calajuri at me.com. Just say hi and let me know what you guys think about the show. All right, you guys, I'll be back here on Thursday with an interview with an individual, Neil Hopkins. He read Story for Leaders, and uh, he found the book was incredibly influential in his life and in his business. So I can't wait to hear the kind of takeaways that he took away from Story for Leaders and how it had an impact on him and his career. So tune in on Thursday to Cut the Crap Podcast for that interview. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. But until then, my friends, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Enjoy the next few days, you guys. We'll talk soon. How about uh, Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky? Rocky's story is this even, right? But Sly's is too. Sly's a good friend of mine. And when I first met him years ago, he's listening to my tapes and stuff, and he invited me over for dinner, and we started talking. And I said, you know, I've heard your story from other people, but I'd really love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't know how much is mythology, you know, urban myth, and how much is true. So he told me his whole story. He said the essence of it, though, was he said he knew his whole life what he wanted to do since he was very, very young. He wanted to be in the movie business, period. I mean, not just TV, movies. And he, just, he said why was, for him, it was a chance to have people not only escape, but to inspire people. And by the way, that drive is what made most of his movies, inspire people to what they're capable of, to overcome unbelievable obstacles, because in his own life, he felt like he did that. When he was born, he was pulled out by the forceps. That's why he looked the way he did. That's why he talked the way he did. And he said, so I really want to do that. And he said, I knew why I want to do it, and I wasn't willing to settle for anything else. And he said, what happened was, I went out to try and get jobs, and it's not like I went, hey, Adrian. They went, you, you're a star. It didn't work out real well. They looked at me and said, hey, you're stupid looking. Do something else. You know, what's it talking like this? There's no place for you in that stuff. You're never going to be a star in the movies. You're insane. No one's going to want to listen to somebody who looks dopey and talks out of the side of their mouth. Right? And he got no after no after no after no. He said, I was thrown out more, fit, more than 1,500 times of agents' offices in New York. I said, there aren't 1,500 agents in New York. He said, I know. I've been to them five, six, seven, eight, nine times. He said, I remember one guy went in there, and I got in there at 4 o'clock, and he wouldn't see me, so I stayed there, and I would not leave. And I stayed overnight. He came back the next morning. I was still sitting there. He said, that's how I got my first job. The guy said, fine, come in here. And he sat down, and he went through this, and he gave my first movie. I said, oh, really? I thought Rocky was first movie. He said, no, this other movie, I never heard of it. He said, I said, well, what character do you play? He said, well, I was in it for about 20 seconds. I was a thug that somebody beat up. He said, because they made me feel like, you know, somebody, people hate your guts. You getting beat up, it'll be a good thing. And he did like three movies like that. Never got anything. Kept going out. Rejection, rejection, rejection. So finally he realized it wasn't working. So he changed his approach. He said, I was starving, by the way. He said, I couldn't pay for even to have heat in my apartment. My wife was screaming at me every day to go get a job. I said, well, why didn't you? He said, because I knew that if I got a job, he said, I'd get seduced back and I'd lose my hunger. He said, I knew that the only way I could do this is if it was the only choice, if I burned all other bridges. Because if I did a normal job, pretty soon I'd be caught up in that rhythm and that stuff and I'd feel okay about my life and I'd feel like my dream would just gradually disappear. And he said, I wanted to keep that hunger. That hunger was the only thing I thought was my advantage. He said, my wife didn't understand that at all. And he said, we'd have these vicious fights. And he said, it was freezing. So I was broke. We had no money. And he said, so I finally went to the public library one day because it was warm. So I didn't want to read anything. 
So as I went in, New York Public Library, he said, I was hanging out there, and I sat down on this chair, and somebody left a book there. And he said, I looked down at this book, and it were the poems of Edgar Allan, stories of Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, so I started reading it, and he said, I got totally into Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, I know everything about it. And he goes on for another 20 minutes telling me about Edgar Allan Poe. He knows everything, how he died, what it was about, what really happened. And I said, well, what did Poe do for you? He said, Poe got me out of myself. He got me to think about how I could touch other people and not worry about myself so much. And he said, it made me decide to become a writer. I said, just imagine, Rocky the writer, right? And he said, so I tried to write a bunch of screenplays. Nothing worked, nothing worked. I were totally broke. He said, I didn't even have 50 bucks. And he said, and finally, he said, I sold a script. And it was called Paradise Alley. He said, it's a movie I made many years later, but I sold it. And he said, I sold it for 100 bucks. He said, but 100 bucks was a ton of money, man. I was so thrilled. I thought, I'm on my way. But it never led to anything. And he said, so finally, he said, I kept going and going and going. He said, finally, we were so broke. He said, I hawked my wife's jewelry. He said, Tony, there's some things in life you should never do. <laughs> he said, that was basically the end of our relationship. She hated my gut so much. He said, now we were so broke, we had nothing, no food, no money. And he said, the one thing I loved most in the world was my dog. He said, I love my dog because he gave me unconditional love, unlike my wife. And he said, so what happened was, though, we were so broke that to survive, I couldn't even feed my dog. So I went to a liquor store. He said, it was the lowest day of my life. And I stood outside the liquor store trying to sell my dog to strangers. He said, I tried to sell my dog for 50 bucks. And he said, this, finally, this one guy negotiated with me and bought my dog for me, my best friend on earth, for $25. He said, I walked away from there and I cried. He said, it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. He said, two weeks later, I'm watching a fight between Muhammad Ali and Weppner, this white guy that's getting bludgeoned but just keeps on coming. And he said, I got an idea. He said, I, as soon as the fight ended, I started writing. He said, I wrote for 20 straight hours. I did not sleep. I wrote the entire movie in 20 hours straight. Right then, saw the fight, wrote the movie. Whole thing, done. He said, I was shaking at the end. I was so excited. He said, I really knew, man. I knew what I wanted. I knew why I wanted it. He said, just like you teach that formula. He said, but I said, man, I took the action. Now it's time to deliver. And so he said, I went out and started trying to sell it to agents. And they all would read it. And they'd say, you know, this is predictable. This is stupid. This is sappy. He said, I wrote down all the things they said. And I read them the night of the Oscars when we won. And he said, it was really good, right? The greatest revenge is massive success. <laughs> and he said, so what happened was, he said, I kept going, trying to sell it, trying to sell it, nobody going, I'm broke, I'm starving. He said, finally, I meet these guys, they read it, and they believe in the script, and they love it. And they offer me $125,000 for my script. I said, oh my God, you must have been out of your mind. He said, I was. I said, just one thing, though, guys, you got a deal based on one thing. And they said, what's that? He said, i got a star in it. They went, Pfft. What are you talking about? You're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. He said, no, 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 you're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. That is my story, and I'm Rocky. He said, I got to play it. You know, I got to be the head person. I got to be the starring role. And they said, there's no way. We're not going to pay you $125,000, take some no name, and stick you in that and throw our money away. We need a star, you know? And they want to have Ryan O'Neill play Rocky to give you a picture. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's who they picked, right? And so he said, no way, Ryan O'Neill isn't Rocky, I'm Rocky, went through this whole thing, right? And they finally, he said, they said, well, take it or leave it. He said, I left the room. I said, if that's what you believe, you don't get my script, and he left. Here's a man with no money, none, totally broke, offered $125,000, more money than seen in his lifetime, and he walked away because he knew his real what? Knew his real what? And why he wanted, he was committed to it. So he said, they called him a few weeks later, and they came and brought him back, and they offered him a quarter of a million dollars 
not to star in his own movie. He turned it down, $250,000. They came back, their final offer is $325,000. They wanted this thing. He said, not without me, and they said no. They finally compromised, and they gave him $35,000 and points in the movie, because they said, if this is going to happen, then you're going to take the risk with us. And the bottom line is, we don't think it'll work, but at least we won't spend a bunch of money on you. And then they only spent a million dollars to make Rocky, and it grossed $200 million at the time. I, I mean, it was done pretty well. But what's interesting about this is, here's, I said, what'd you do? I mean, even 35000 it's not a quarter of a million. That's a lot of money when you don't have 25 bucks. I said, what's the first thing you did? I figured you went out and partied or something. He said, I went to that liquor store for three straight days and hoped that the man who had my dog frequented the store. He said, because I want to buy back my dog. I thought that was so cool, right? That was really cool. I said, what happened? He said, third day I was there, this guy walks by, and I see him, and I can't believe it, and there's my dog. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, remember me? And he said, it had been about a month and a half by the time this had all come about. And he said, remember me? You know, I'm the guy that sold you the dog. I goes, yeah, yeah, I love the dog. He said, well, look. He said, I was so broke, I was starving. He's my best friend. I'm sure you love him too, but I gotta have him black. Please, I beg of you. He said, I'll pay you $100 for the dog. I know you paid me $25, but I'll give you $100. And the man said, absolutely not, no way. He's my dog now, you can't buy him back, right? And Sly said, you know, Tony, you know how you say, know your outcome? I said, yeah, he said, I knew it. And he said, I kept changing my approach, so I went, $500 for the dog. The guy said, absolutely no way. He said, $1,000 for my dog. The guy said, no amount of money on earth is ever going to get this dog from you. I said, what'd you do? He said, I knew my outcome, right? Because he listened to these tapes, kept to him. He said, I decided to take massive action. He said, I got my dog. I just kept changing my approach, so I got it. I said, what'd it cost you? $15,000 and a part in Rocky. The guy's in Rocky. You know that dog in Rocky, Butt Kiss? That's Sly's real dog, right? That's the dog. He bought him back. So, so he put his dog in the movie, and he put the guy in the movie and paid 15 grand while he had 35000 Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty awesome. So there's always a way if you're committed. <laughs> Just got to keep changing your approach.